0: Welcome to episode 36 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. Do i have a doozy of an episode for you this week it's something that we've covered before in past episodes however i don't believe i gave it enough justice this week we are taking a renewed look at biological warfare this is a topic that really freaks me out due to the ability to silently release these pathogens into the air water and surrounding community with no warning at all these weaponized pathogens are able to quickly spread bypassing the immune system and wreaking havoc on not only our bodies but causing a potentially catastrophic scenario Throughout the community as well. Biological warfare can trace its history back well beyond modern times, back to a time when wars were fought on vast battlegrounds and hand to hand combat. Some of the earliest forms of biological warfare include Hittites driving those infected with tularemia into enemy lands and causing an epidemic. Throughout different wars, both Scythian and Roman soldiers were notorious for dipping their arrows in piles of excrement and abandoned corpses on the battlefield. Doing so resulted in those who met the end of that arrow usually developing tetanus. While there is now a vaccine to prevent against this bacterial disease, during ancient times these symptoms suffered would put any average foot soldier out of commission. Tetanus is a seriously debilitating bacterial infection that attacks a person's nervous system causing extremely painful muscle contractions that focus primarily in the jaw and neck, which is commonly nicknamed lockjaw. One of the more serious reports of biological warfare comes from a time when the Mongol hordes raced across Asia killing and pillaging cities. It is theorized that the bodies of these dead Mongol warriors were infected with bubonic plague and when their bodies were catapulted over the walls during the siege of Kaffa, potentially transmitted the Black Plague to Europe, causing the deaths of 5% of the world's population at the time. As we look through history, this method was incredibly effective. Wars could be fought without ever having to fire an arrow and could be accomplished with little logistical challenge. As we travel further into the 18th and 19th century, biological warfare took a more sinister approach, especially as the British Empire moved to colonize North America. It is rumored that during the French and Indian War, Brigadier General Henry Bouquet ordered his troops to distribute smallpox-ridden blankets and handkerchiefs to the Native American population during a lull in fighting. There are pieces of evidence that suggest this plan actually came to fruition. The Journal of Trent, who served the commander of the militia at the fort, has provided evidence that this plan was carried out. June twenty-fourth, 1763. The Turtle's Heart, a principal warrior of the Delaware and Malmontee, a chief came within a small distance of the Fort McKee, went out to them, and they made a speech letting us know that all our posts as lingoneer was destroyed, that a great number of Indians were coming, and that out of regard to us, they had prevailed on six nations not to attack us, but give us time to go down to the country, and they desired we would set up immediately." The commanding officer thanked them, let them know that we had everything we wanted, that we could defend it against all the Indians in the woods, that we had three large armies marching to chastise those Indians that had struck us, told them to take care of their women and children, but not to tell any other natives that they would go and speak to their chiefs and come and tell us what they said. They returned and said they would hold fast of the chain of friendship. Out of our regard to them, we gave them two blankets and a handkerchief out of the smallpox hospital. I hope it will have the desired effect." Then they told us that Lingonier had been attacked, but the enemy were beat off. When the British decided to transmit smallpox-ridden blankets to the native population, they did so knowingly that this would cause an epidemic. Smallpox affected all levels of society in 18th century in Europe. Approximately 400,000 people died annually of smallpox, and one-third of survivors went blind. The symptoms of smallpox, or the speckled monster as it was known in 18th century England, appeared suddenly and the sequelae were devastating. The case fatality rate varied from 20 to 60 percent, and left most survivors with disfiguring scars. Additionally, during the Revolutionary War in the United States, General George Washington received news that the British soldiers infected with smallpox were being deployed to spread it to the Continental Forces. During the American Revolutionary War, General George Washington heard a report that British General William Howe was going to send people inoculated with smallpox out from Boston in order to affect other Americans. Washington reported this to Congress, but said he could hardly give credit to it. Washington inoculated his soldiers, diminishing the effect of the ongoing smallpox epidemic. As we travel further into history, the next recorded use of biological warfare would not be reported until World War I, due in part to the scientific development of germ theory in 1900. For those who are unfamiliar with this term, the germ theory of disease is the currently accepted scientific theory for many diseases, It states that microorganisms known as pathogens or germs can lead to disease. These small organisms, too small to be seen without magnification, invade humans and other animals and other living hosts. Their growth and reproduction within their hosts can cause disease. Germ refers not to just a bacterium, but to any type of microorganism, such as protists or fungi, or even non-living pathogens that can cause disease, such as viruses, prions, and viroids. Germans were particularly fond of using biological implements during the Great War. The government at that time studied both anthrax and glanders for use in the trenches against the Allied nations. For those of you that don't know, both of these bacteria are incredibly deadly if placed into the wrong hands. Anthrax causes a variety of symptoms depending on the route of transmission. Inhalation anthrax usually develops within a week after exposure, but may take up to two months to develop. During the first few days of illness, most people have fever, chills, and fatigue. These symptoms may be accompanied by cough, shortness of breath, chest pain, and nausea or vomiting, making inhalation anthrax difficult to distinguish from influenza and community-acquired pneumonia. This is often described as the prodromal period. Over the next day or so, shortness of breath, cough, and chest pain become more common and complaints not involving the chest, such as nausea, vomiting, altered mental status, sweats, and headache develop in one-third or more of people. Upper respiratory tract symptoms occur in only a quarter of people, and muscle pains are rare. Altered mental status, or shortness of breath, generally brings people to healthcare and marks the fulminant phase of illness, and infects the lymph nodes in the chest first rather than the lungs themselves a condition called hemorrhagic mediastinitis, causing bloody fluid to accumulate in the chest cavity, thereby causing shortness of breath. The second, pneumonia stage occurs when the infection spreads from the lymph nodes to the lungs. Symptoms of the second stage develop suddenly within hours or days after the first stage. Symptoms include high fever, extreme shortness of breath, shock, and rapid death within 48 hours in fatal cases. Gastrointestinal infection is most often caused by consuming anthrax-infected meat and is characterized by diarrhea, potentially with blood, abdominal pains, acute inflammation in the intestinal tract, and loss of appetite. Occasional vomiting of blood can occur. Lesions have been found in the intestines and in the mouth and throat. After the bacterium invades the gastrointestinal system, it spreads to the bloodstream and throughout the body while continuing to make toxins. Glanders is a zoonotic disease that remains endemic throughout portions of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Central, and South America. This disease has been known since the times of antiquity, and due to the high mortality rate in humans and the small number of organisms required to establish infection, B. mali is regarded as a potentially biological warfare or bioterrorism agent, as it is closely related to organism B. pseudomali, the causative agent of meliodosis. During World War I, Glanders was believed to have been spread deliberately by German agents to infect large numbers of Russian horses and mules on the Eastern Front. Human cases in Russia increased with the infections during and after World War I. Following the devastating effects of biological warfare during World War I, the Geneva Protocol would prohibit the further use of biological weapons on the battlefield. Signed into force on February 8, 1928, it prohibits the use of asphyxiating, poisonous, or other gases in all analogous liquids, materials, or devices, and bacteriological methods of warfare. This is now understood to be a general prohibition on chemical weapons and biological weapons, but has nothing to say about production, storage, or transfer. Now, I wish this was the end of the story and that we as humans understand the true danger of the world is in when these biological weapons are manufactured. However, World War II is where you truly see what pure evil the human is capable of. Now, the last time I recorded this episode, I told you I couldn't stomach the horrors of the experiments at one particular research complex operated by the Imperial Japanese Empire. Now, I warn you that what you are about to hear is very graphic, so anyone under the age of 13 should please turn off the episode or fast forward. Now when I tell you that this complex was a place of absolute horror, if you were a prisoner here, you were more likely to be incinerated than leave alive. Located in what used to be Ping Fong, Harbin, Manchuco, which is present-day China, was a sinister research facility under the name of the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Tung Army. This name covered the true horrors that occurred at this facility. Internally, the facility was known as Unit 731. This facility and all sister research facilities were led by Surgeon General Shiro Ishii. Shiro Ishii was born on June 25, 1892 in Shibayama in Chiba Prefecture, Japan. He was born into a large landholding family that exercised feudal dominance of the village and surrounding towns. In 1922, Ishii was assigned to the First Army Hospital, an army medical school in Tokyo, where his work impressed his superiors enough to enable him to return to Kyoto Imperial University to pursue postgraduate medical schooling in 1924. During his studies, Ishii would often grow bacteria as pets and multiple petri dishes, and his odd practice of rising bacteria as companions rather than as research subjects made him notable to the staff of the university. Ever since his entry into medical school, His fascination with biology is what would land him as a leader of this sinister unit. Following his graduation, Ishii continuously advocated for the Imperial Japanese government to create a bioweapons program. In 1928, the young captain would take a tour of the West, performing extensive research of the biological and chemical warfare innovations from World War I. In 1935, Ishii was promoted to Senior Army Surgeon, Second Class, or Surgeon Lieutenant Colonel. The Imperial government began their bioweapons research program in the 1930s, due to the Geneva Protocol that was signed in 1925. Japan believed this to be the very reason why the government needed to develop such a program. Their thought process was because this ban that was implemented in 1928 deemed it a necessity because of the effectiveness and lethality of these weapons. In 1932, Surgeon General Shiro Ishii would be placed in command of the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory. In the early days of Ishii's research, It was conducted at the Zongma Fortress, which was approximately 62 miles south of Harbin. However, following a suspected prison break in 1934, which was later believed to be a case of sabotage, the Imperial Japanese government approved a new facility in Pingfang, which was approximately 15 miles south of Harbin. This location, away from the Japanese mainland, would allow for secrecy and unfortunately a supply of people that would ultimately be the focus of the research. In 1936, Emperor Hirohito would authorize the expansion of the unit, In addition to the establishment of Unit 731, the decree also called for the creation of an additional biological warfare development unit called the Kuangtung Army Military Horse Epidemic Prevention Workshop, later referred to as Manchuria Unit 100, and a chemical warfare development unit called the Kuangtung Army Technical Testing Department, later referred to as Manchuria Unit 516. After the Japanese invasion of China in 1937, sister chemical and biological warfare units were founded in major Chinese cities and were referred to as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Supply Units. Detachments included Unit 1855 in Beijing, Unit A 1644 in Nanjing, Unit 8604 in Guangzhou, and later Unit 9420 in Singapore. All of these units comprised Ishii's network, which at its height in 1939 oversaw 10,000 personnel. Medical doctors and professors from Japan were attracted to join Unit 731 both by the rare opportunity to conduct human experimentation and the Army's strong financial backing. I'm only going to share with you the details of the biological warfare research that Unit 731 conducted. If you truly want to see the horrors that this unit was capable of, I will leave you to do that for yourself. The research experiments conducted in my mind aren't even considered research, but torture that was under the guise of research. Scientists at this facility engaged in professional curiosity, or in other words, they did what they wanted because they could. These experiments were gruesome, heinous, and unnecessary. The biological warfare research arm of Unit 731 was equally as evil. Unit 731 and its affiliated units, Unit 1644 and Unit 100, among others, were involved in research, development, and experimental deployment of epidemic-creating bio-warfare weapons and assaults against the Chinese population, who were both military and civilian throughout World War II. Plague-infected fleas, bred in the laboratories of Unit 731 and Unit 1644, were spread by low-flying airplanes over Chinese cities, including the coastal city of Ningbo, Chengdei, in the Hunan Province in 1940 and 1941. These operations killed tens of thousands with bubonic plague epidemics. An expedition to Nanjing involved spreading typhoid and paratyphoid germs into the wells, marshes, and houses of the city, as well as infusing them in snacks distributed to locals. Epidemics broke out shortly after to the elation of many researchers who conducted that paratyphoid fever was the most effective of the pathogens. Honestly, this only begins to scratch the surface of the tests and research conducted by Unit 731. Over the course of this unit's lifespan, 12 biological weapon research trials were carried out on unsuspecting populations. At least 12 large-scale bioweapon field trials were carried out, and at least 11 Chinese cities were attacked with biological agents. An attack on Chiang in 1941 repeatedly led to approximately 10,000 biological casualties and 1,700 deaths among ill-prepared Japanese troops, in most cases due to cholera. Japanese researchers performed tests on prisoners with bubonic plague, cholera, smallpox, botulism, and other diseases. This research led to the development of the Defoliation Bacilli Bomb, and the flea bomb used to spread bubonic plague. Some of these bombs were designed with porcelain shells, an idea proposed by Ishii in 1938. Had Japan not surrendered when they did, Ishii and the imperial government had planned a biological weapons attack against the United States. The attack, codenamed Operation PX, or Cherry Blossoms at Night, was devised by Japanese naval general staff led by Vice Admiral Jisaburo Ozawa. Operation PX was proposed in December 1944 by the Japanese Naval General Staff led by Vice Admiral Jisaburo Ozawa. The name for the operation came from the Japanese use of the code name PX for Pestis Bacillus Infected Fleas and planning the operation. The Navy partnered with Lieutenant General Shiro Ishii of Unit 731 who had extensive experience on weaponizing pathogenic bacteria and human vulnerability to biological and chemical warfare. The plan for the attack involved CERAN aircraft launched by submarine aircraft carriers upon the west coast of the United States, specifically the cities of San Diego, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. The planes would spread weaponized bubonic plague, cholera, typhus, dengue fever, and other pathogens in a biological terror attack against the population. The submarine crews would infect themselves and run ashore in a suicide mission. Planning for Operation PX was finalized on March 26, 1945, But shelved shortly thereafter due to the strong opposition of Chief of General Staff Yoshijiro Umezu. Umezu later explained his decision as such. If bacteriological warfare is conducted, it will grow from the dimension of war between Japan and America to an endless battle of humanity against bacteria. Japan will earn the derision of the world. A final planned use of the biological weapons came just after the surrender of Japan, as Shiro Ishii planned to stage suicide germ attacks against U.S. occupation troops in Japan. This planned attack never took place either due to the opposition from Yoshiziro Umezu and Toshiro Kawabe, who did not want Ishii to die in a suicide attack and asked him instead to wait for the next opportunity calmly. Had this attack occurred, this war could have ended much differently. Had those biological weapons spread throughout the United States, who knows the damage that could have resembled. Here in the United States, we aren't typically vaccinated against these illnesses, leaving our immune systems vulnerable to these weapons. It is likely that due to the swiftness of these attacks, it would have quickly overwhelmed the nation's healthcare infrastructure and quite possibly our military. Coming out of World War II, you'd expect evil humans like Shiro Ishii to stand trial and meet their maker. However, the United States again showed that officials are more interested in gaining the upper hand in war rather than showing common sense and destroying this research. On the other side of the world, the Nazis continued to show just how evil they were. The Nazis placed Kurt Blom as the Reich health leader in the plenipotentiary for the cancer research. Blom, however, had plans to develop a bioweapons program aimed at attacking the United States. As part of the Nazi biological warfare program codenamed Blitzbleiter or Lightning Rod, Blom's institute was therefore a camouflaged operation for the production of biological warfare agents and its construction was overseen by Carl L. Gross, an SS officer and specialist in tropical diseases, who had conducted lethal experiments on 1,700 prisoners at the Matthäusen concentration camp. It was surrounded by a 10-foot high wall, guarded by a special SS unit, and designed to prevent the accidental release of the various biological agents being produced there. By May 1944, the institute had sections devoted to physiology-biology, bacteriology, and vaccines, Radiology, pharmacology, cancer statistics, and a tumor farm, and had received at least 2.7 Reichsmarks in funding from the Wehrmacht and SS in 1943 to 1945. Blohm worked on methods of storage and dispersal of biological agents like plague, cholera, anthrax, and typhoid, and also infected prisoners with plague in order to test the efficacy of vaccines. At the University of Strasbourg, a special unit headed by Professor Eugen von Hagen and employing researchers like Kurt Gutzeit and Arnold Doman tested typhus, hepatitis, nephritis, and other chemical and biological weapons on concentration camp inmates. Gützeit was in charge of hepatitis research for the German army, and he and his colleagues carried out virus experiments on mental patients, Jews, Russian POWs, and gypsies in various concentration camps. In October 1944, Himmler also ordered Blom to experiment with plague on concentration camp prisoners. In 1943, Blohm proposed spreading malaria artificially by means of mosquitoes and experimented on prisoners at Dachau and Buchenwald with lice in order to cause typhus epidemics. Eduard May, director of the Entomological Division of the SS Institute for Practical Research and Military Science, received a commission to experiment on concentration camp prisoners with humanly harmful insects, starting in October 1943, which was closely connected with the Blohm's biological warfare program. May collaborated with him in experiments on the artificial mass transportation of the malaria parasite to humans with infected mosquitoes dropped from plane. In addition, the Wehrmacht's veterinary section, which included research projects on animal diseases being conducted by Eric Traub at the Reims Island Institute, was developing methods to spread these by aircraft over Britain, the U.S., and the Soviet Union. Like Kurt Blum's Cancer Research Institute in Posen, the State Research Institute at Insel Reims was a dual-use facility during the Second World War, where at least some biological warfare experiments were conducted. It was founded in 1909-1910 to 1910 to study foot and mouth disease and, by World War II, employed about 20 scientists and a staff of about 70-120. to 120. From 1919 to 1948, its director was Otto Wald Hans Christoph Nagel, a veterinarian and biological warfare expert for the German Army, was in charge of research into the use of animal and insect diseases as biological weapons. During this period is when the United States activated their bioweapons research program. Research centered around Fort Detrick, Maryland, approximately 52 miles outside of Washington, D.C. The USBW program was given high priority. Germany is said to have had a mortal fear of the US BW capability and decided against the BW option, a fact that allies were not aware of. The important technological achievement in the United States program during World War II was the development of small particle-sized aerosol dissemination of wet or dry preparations of pathogens. The US dropped charges of war crimes against the leading members of the Japanese BW program in exchange for data on experiments on human subjects. In preparation for the Korean War, wheat rust was made available in 1950 as an agent to be used against the Soviet Union. The United States would continue its offensive biological weapons research well into the late 1960s, until President Nixon would move to end the offensive section of the program, but would not end the defensive portion of the biowarfare program. Our main adversary during the Cold War, the Soviet Union, had a robust bioweapons program and was the longest-running amongst any nation that conducted this research. Started in the mid-1920s, early research was undertaken by the Red Army Bacteriological Institute in Volishka, which is around 25 miles away from Moscow. Not much is known of this early development, and some of it was carried out by imprisoned scientists. The Stalinist purges of microbiologists involved in the program limited the progress made. During World War II, typhus was developed as a BW agent and an aircraft disperser for plague bacteria was invented. The capture of Japanese members of the BW program provided data and plans for building BW facilities that were used in the Soviet Union in 1946. As the Soviet Union came out of World War II, there was a belief that the United States was planning to unleash a massive biological attack against the Soviets during the Korean War. In response, the Soviets developed a sophisticated network of field teams and anti plague laboratories that were spread throughout the country that would enable a quick response to any reported outbreaks. The shift into the modern age brought a new treaty, one designed to disarm and prevent future use of biological weapons. Entered into force on March 26, 1975, the BWC is considered to have established a strong global norm against biological weapons. This norm is reflected in the treaty's preamble which states that the use of biological weapons should be repugnant to the conscience of mankind. It is also demonstrated by the fact that not a single state today declares to possess or seek biological weapons or asserts that their use in war is legitimate. In light of the rapid advances in biotechnology, Biodefense expert Daniel Gerstein has described the BWC as the most important arms control treaty of the 21st century. However, the convention's effectiveness has been limited due to insufficient institutional support and the absence of any formal verification regime to monitor compliance. This is where I fear that we as a species don't understand the power we wield until it's too late. Biological weapons have the capability to cause more harm than any traditional weapon that is employed on the battlefield. During the course of these biological weapons experiments, there have been cases of accidents. One such case occurred at the Sverdlovsk facility located in what is now Yekaterinburg, Russia. This biological facility was built between 1947 to 1949 as the spin-off to the research facility that was based in Kirov. The facility in which this research was conducted was codenamed Compound 19 and was located in a special sector of the city which included its own stores, clubs, and security personnel. Anyone living within this zone was required to have a special security clearance. At some point during the period between April 2nd and 3rd, 1979, a mass of B. anthracis spores were released from a four story building located in Compound 19 Special Zone. The building housed a production unit which produced dry B. anthracis spores for weapon use. The unit was manned by 40 personnel and commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Nikolai Chernikov. The spores created a plume, which the wind carried over parts of Sverdlovsk itself as well as a number of rural villages. In the immediate aftermath, the Soviets mobilized medical field teams to respond to the affected villages and begin administering tetracycline for those affected. A Moscow-controlled extraordinary commission was eventually established to manage the response and on the 22nd of April, firemen and factory workers began hosing down buildings with solutions of chlorine. The large-scale vaccination of the population in the affected Chaklovsky district was also undertaken by the authorities. In all, some 80% of around 59,000 eligible individuals were injected with the Soviet STI anthrax vaccine. The latter had been manufactured by the Scientific Research Institute of Vaccines and SIRA based in Tbilisi, Georgia. Official fatalities for this incident place it at 68 for citizens living within Sverdlovsk, and out of the 2,180 staff at the research facility, 18 died as a result of the anthrax release. In April 1992, President Boris Yeltsin issued a decree on ensuring the implementation of international pledges in the sphere of biological weapons. Under the reforming president, there was a desire over time to shift the Ministry of Defense's BW institutes for military jurisdiction to work for the civil economy. It was against this background that at some point between 1992 and 1994, a representative from the U.S. investment bank and stock brokerage firm Payne Weber Incorporated held a meeting with members of Russia's Committee on Convention Problems of Chemical and Biological Weapons which was specifically focused on the potential for cooperation with Compound Number 19 in the areas of infectious diseases in animals and production of veterinary vaccines. The project eventually floundered because of the Russian military's desire to maintain the closed, highly restricted access status of its biological facilities. During the lead-up to the Gulf War, biological weapons were a major fear that many leaders here in the United States had. It was known that Iraq possessed a biological weapons program, however, it is just unknown how sophisticated this program was. The Iraqi biological warfare program was, as far as is known, initiated in 1974 at Al-Hazen. The agents studied were Clostridium botulinum, spores of bacillus, and influenza virus. This program did not progress very far and those responsible were imprisoned for reasons that are not clear today according to the iraqi information supplied to the united nations special commission the program was restarted in 1979 under the leadership of dr taha who had a phd in microbiology from the united kingdom there is speculation however that she was only presented to the united nations special commission as a figurehead and that the real head of the program is still unknown research at al-muthana was expanded in 1986 to include aflatoxin Trichothecene mycotoxins, and ricin. In 1990, the program was further expanded to include viruses and the genetic engineering of agents. It is estimated that around 30 agents were in some way studied for possible use. According to Iraqi information, aflatoxin, botulin, and anthrax organisms were placed in missiles and air-delivered bombs in preparation for the Gulf War, but were not used. After 10 years of surveillance, which was in 1998, there are still many unanswered questions concerning the BW program and the possibility of ongoing activity. The 21st century has brought renewed threats of biological warfare by way of terrorist organizations. Many of the terrorist groups operating throughout the world currently have built capabilities to include bioweapons research and dispersal methods. Biological attacks are silent and can happen at any moment's notice without prior warning. In order to prevent against or in the unfortunate scenario respond to a biological weapons attack, It takes a system of sophisticated sensors and laboratories located across the country to identify these materials that can in turn alert the proper authorities to begin the response aspect. Since the 1950s, the United States has been actively researching methods of prevention, decontamination, and immunization. Since 9-11, federal agencies took more advanced measures instituting three secret programs to identify key vulnerabilities to the United States biological warfare defense. In December 2019, Congress moved forward with a spending package that provided increase for several key U.S. biological defense programs, including the Strategic National Stockpile. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention was slated to receive $8 billion or a $636 million increase over 2019 with a mandate written in for the bill for CDC to maintain a strong and central role in the medical countermeasures enterprise. Within the CDC budget, the Public Health and Social Services Emergency Fund, which prepares for all public health emergencies, including bioterrorism and federal efforts against infectious diseases, was funded at $2.74 billion. Another change was a specific item in the budget for the Strategic National Stockpile, which directed $535 million for vaccines, medicines, and diagnostic tools to fight Ebola, which has become an emerging threat. It is truly unknown what the future holds with regard to the utilization of biological warfare. However, if an attack were to occur, the events could be catastrophic. It is important that we as humans understand the true risk we are placing on ourselves. A weaponized bacteria or virus is nothing that we want to face, as I can promise you, humans will not win. I wanted to thank you all for listening to the episode this week. If you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to rate it five stars and leave a review. Please be sure to follow the show on our social media pages as well for the latest episode updates. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster.